As most of you probably know, last Sunday was our inaugural service, and I'm very happy to report that we had 126 people in attendance, and we had five people commit their lives to Christ. It was a great day in the Lord. We knew that there were a lot of -of out-of-town visitors and family coming in just to celebrate with us that first Sunday, and we knew that was going to constitute much of last week's congregation, but we had quite a few local families here, and it's good to see so many of you back today. So thank you again for coming, and please be assured that you are choosing to be a part of something that's bigger than all of us. This church was God's idea, and it's His doing, and He's going to build His church, and I'm just so thankful that I get to be a part of that, and I'm especially thankful that I get to be a part of it with all of you. These are exciting days God is on the move, and so it is with great expectancy that we follow him into the future, into whatever he has planned for his church and for this community and for this city and really the whole region. I don't know all that he has in store for us, for this church, but I do know that he has great things in store. And I believe that this church is going to be a deep well where people can come and drink in life. So what a privilege it is to witness what he's doing and to be a part of it with you this morning. Last week was the first sermon in a series that I've entitled Welcome to Church. I'm writing these sermons to sort of just be a baseline of understanding of what we believe and what we practice here. So we're all on the same page as this ministry moves forward. And I believe it's important to articulate clearly and often exactly what we believe, what we, what we stand for, and what we intend to accomplish for Christ as a church and as a community of faith. And so last week, we talked specifically about being followers of Christ and just exactly what that means. And today... We're going to talk about being followers of the Word. And when I refer to the Word, of course, I'm referring to the Bible. Okay, these 66 books that make up the canon of Scripture. The word canon means rule or measuring stick. So the Bible, if you will, is a rule or a measuring stick that guides us through life. It's a bit of a road map for Christians. Okay, if you've ever been lost... If you've ever been on a trip or driven in an unfamiliar city without a good map or good directions, you know how disconcerting it can be to travel without any guidance. It's generally not a good feeling. Uh, I love to go hunting and fishing. If you've known me long at all, you know that about me. I really enjoy the feeling I get when I can go outside by my own effort and God's blessing and provide food for my family. It's very gratifying. So as much as we can in our family, we we have tried to grow our own food. We've had gardens. We harvest wild grapes and berries on our property. We hunt and fish every chance that we get. Usually when I go hunting, I'm alone. I, I really enjoy that. I like being out deep in the woods with just me and God and his creation. But from time to time, if the kids are available, I'll take them, or someone will ask to go with me, and I enjoy that too. I like taking people out. It's a lot of fun to have that shared experience with friends. And I remember... This one particular trip, a good friend of mine asked to go hunting with me, and I said, sure. And so we made plans, and the day came, and I picked him up about 3.30 in the morning, and we drove to this old farm that my wife's family owns. And no one is allowed to hunt there except me and one neighbor, so it's a great spot. And we drove out there, and the idea here, if you hunt at all, you know, in these woods at least, where it's very thick and you can't see very far The idea is to get up in a tree, in a tree stand, and you sit very still, very quiet for hours, sometimes all day, and you wait for 
your prey, your quarry to come along. And if you're lucky and if God blesses you, you're able to take down this large animal and turn it into food. I'm not a trophy hunter. Uh, don't really hunt for trophies. Heads on the wall. I used to have lots of those. But really now it's all about providing food for our family and enjoy doing that. So, so that's the idea. And to some people that sounds really boring just sitting in a tree all day, you know, quiet, not moving. But for me, it's sort of cathartic. I love watching the world wake up around me. I love talking with God when I'm sitting in a tree stand. So my friend and I, we make our way out to this farm, out into the woods. It's, of course, pitch black at that time of day here. So we're, we're walking in the dark with flashlights. And I guide him right up to his tree stand. Now, he's never been here before. He's hunted before. So he understands the drill. You know, he knows you get up, you strap yourself into the tree, and you just sit quietly and you wait. But he had never been to this property, and we had walked quite a a ways deep into these woods, and it was dark, so he had no bearing. He had no reference point for where he was. Even after the sun came up, he wouldn't know how to get back. So we agreed on a time that I would go back and get him. When we're done, I'll get down. You stay put. I'll come back to you, because if you get down out of your stand without me, his guide... We have no idea where to go. He has no idea where to go. So we agreed, and I disappear into the darkness several hundred yards away to my own tree stand that I was very familiar with. And I'm sitting there, and it was a beautiful day for hours, quiet, but not much was happening in the way of game, the usual squirrel and that sort of thing. But after several hours, I heard a noise. And if you've ever hunted before or been in the woods much, you know you can tell when you hear something bigger than a deer. I mean, bigger than a squirrel walking through the woods. You know, I mean, you hear lots of squirrels, but when a deer's coming or a bear or a wild hog or something, you can tell. And I heard that sound. And it's great because your heart rate starts to get up and you breathe a little bit more shallow and you start to get excited and then you try and calm yourself down because this is the moment I've invested all this time into and I'm going to get a deer today. And so I hear this animal walking toward my tree from behind me, and I'm slowly, this is what you do, you just, you barely move, you know, you just really slowly turn your head, and because you don't want to spook the deer, and I get my head turned all the way around, and I look, and lo and behold, it's another hunter walking through the woods, he's all camouflaged, and his rifle slung over his shoulder, and I thought, man, you know, he's not, whoever it is, not supposed to be out here, he's going to ruin the hunt, but rather than make it worse in terms of spooking deer and talking to him, I just thought, I'm going to let this guy walk through, and I'm going to keep on hunting, and so he's getting closer and closer, and as he really kind of comes out into my little cleared area where I'm hunting, I realize it's my buddy, it's the guy I took hunting with me, and he's walking right at my tree, and I'm waiting for him to say something to me, and he comes, and I'm 25 feet up in a tree, And he comes walking right up underneath my tree and just past me by a few feet. And he stops and he's looking all around him. And I'm wondering what's happening. It's just sort of odd behavior. And so there was a little voice inside me that said, you really should ask him what he's doing. But I just, the mystery of it was quite enjoyable. So (laughs) I decided not to say anything. So I'm watching my friend down there. And he starts walking in. He goes 30 or 40 feet. And he turns and he hangs a right and he starts going around and I can see him every once in a while and I lose him and then I hear him and he's, he's circling back around and eventually he comes back out into my clearing, almost right up to my tree again. And again, I'm standing there, I'm sitting in my stand and I'm thinking, I, I probably ought to ask him if he's okay, but I don't want to because this is kind of fun. 
So this goes on literally for several minutes. He's crisscrossing and zigzagging all through the woods. And at one point I thought, I wonder if he's tracking a deer, which happens. But then I thought, no, he was so close, I would have heard him shoot. And he never shot his gun. So I let him walk around for a while. And just about the time I thought, I probably ought to see if he's okay. He literally began to pick up the pace. And at a very hurried walk, almost kind of a jog, he's... He's zigzagging through the woods and looking all over the place. And I'm sort of chuckling to myself, like, what in the world? This is another side of my friend I've never seen before. Like, there's something going on. And, and just like a switch was flipped, he drops his rifle on the ground. And he starts screaming my name. Rob! 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 And he's, you know, each direction, he's calling out my name. And this is too much. I'm about to die. I mean, this is... <laughs> And he's moving around, and he comes right up under my tree, and about I can't even answer him because he's yelling over and over. And he sort of bends over on his knees to catch his breath. He's a real big guy. And he's breathing, and I'm looking straight down at him. And I said, dude, I'm right here. <laughs> and my buddy, who's, again, he's a, he's a big guy, looked like a professional basketball player. He jumped about three feet straight up in the air. I mean, I just about scared the life out of him. And he... <laughs> He landed and he looked straight up at me and he starts laughing and I said, man, what are you doing? And he explains that he had gotten down, his legs were kind of cramping up and he wanted to stretch and he decided to kind of get familiar with the area and he got lost. And the more he walked around, the more panicky he got because he had no idea how to find his way back to his tree. He had no idea I was right above him and so we had that whole little experience together. It can be very unnerving to try and navigate in unfamiliar surroundings without a guide, without a reference point, right? The same is true in life, yet we see people every day who are doing just that. So many people trying to navigate their way through life without a map, without a measuring stick, without a reference point. They have no guide. Is it any wonder that our society is so out of sorts? In so many ways, you know, hurting people, we see them all around us. We hear about divorce and drug use and unwed pregnancies and crime and all of these things. You know what it boils down to? Our society is groaning for guidance. Our society is groaning for guidance. And in part, the church is directed by God to offer that guidance to people. But what is it based on? What is the standard by which the church is to operate in offering that guidance to a hurting world? It's the Word of God. It's the Bible. And yet so many, even some Christians, or at least those who profess faith in Christ, treat the Bible as if it's just one aspect. It's just one of the options available to us for guiding us through life. I actually know personally a worship leader in one of our local churches who believes that they can pick and choose which parts of the Bible apply to their life and which parts they can ignore. And when asked recently how this person determines which part of Scripture is really true and which isn't, they said, well, I trust the Holy Spirit will reveal that to me. Here's the problem with that perspective. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. All Scripture it says, is breathed out by God. You see, we can't simply pick and choose the parts that we like and reject the rest and expect to live any kind of life that pleases God and produces anything of value for the kingdom of God. It's like being out in the woods, out in the mountains, deep in the woods, and you have a, a, a map of the area, 
but you rip it all up into little pieces and then only take the parts that you like the look of with you and throw the rest away, right? Let's see, I, I like the look of that meadow over there. That's a pretty spot, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that with me. That, that mountaintop piece looks good. There will certainly be a good view from there, but I'm not going to pay attention to the, the swamp over there to the left, uh, that raging river at the bottom of the cliffs, right? I'm going to avoid that, so I'm just going to take the parts of this map that appeal to me. That would be ridiculous. What happens when you have an incomplete map? It's just a matter of time before you get lost, okay? You probably already know that we're living today in Western society in a postmodern, pluralistic society. That's a fancy way of saying that all roads lead to heaven and I can do whatever is right for me, even if it may not be right for someone else. In other words, there are no more standards for living. But I need you to know this morning that this church holds to a very specific standard of living, and that's the Holy Word of God. That's the Bible, okay? Psalm 119 is a beautiful discourse on many of the attributes and purposes of the Word of God. It's an acrostic poem, which is a fascinating study in and of itself, but it's the longest psalm in the Bible. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's actually longer than some of the books of the Bible, okay? The entire psalm is the celebration of the Word of God as the perfect guide for life, and I wish we had time today to go through the whole thing, but we don't. So for now, we're just going to read verses 97 through 105, and that's our text today. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to them, Psalm 119, verses 97 through 105, and I think we'll have it on the screen. So verse 97 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There's a tremendous amount of insight into the word of God packed into these nine verses. And we can't dissect all of it this morning, but we're going to hit some of the highlights here, all right? And we're actually going to work backwards through the passage as we follow our sermon outline, okay? So the first attribute or purpose of the Bible that we're going to talk about today is that the Bible is for guidance, okay? The Bible's for guidance. Verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Throughout the Psalms and indeed much of the Bible, when we see references to God's light, it's referring to His guidance for the life of the believer. And lamps in ancient Israel were these clay bowls and they filled them with olive oil and they would put in a, a cotton or a flax wick and it would come out and they would pinch the lip of the bowl to hold it or later they developed a, a nozzle that would hold the end of the wick and they would light it and use it as you would expect you'd use a lamp just like we use flashlights to produce light so if they were outside in the dark or walking through the woods they would carry these lamps it would help guide them through the darkness God's word it says is a lamp it produces light that guides us through life. So if you cross-reference this verse, 105, with a couple of other passages, let's see what it says. First Peter 1.19 says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, 
to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And then Proverbs 6.23 says, For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Okay? The Bible is intended to be a guide for every believer. And many of the questions that we have as believers about God's will for our lives, about decisions that we need to make, about which direction we need to take in different situations in life, are directly addressed in the Word of God. Okay? Which leads us to our next point. The Bible is a guide for our lives, but we have to go beyond just reading it. We have to understand that the Bible's for study. Okay? We have to study the Scriptures. It's beyond just reading. Back to Psalm 119, and we'll back up to verses 102 and 104. The psalmist says in 102, I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. I love this verse in the Bible, and there are others like it, because although the author, throughout the entire passage, is explaining how he feasts on the Word of God, he studies the Word, ultimately he says that it's God that teaches him. Okay, it's important that we realize this point in our own lives. You don't have to have an advanced degree in ministry to effectively study God's Word, because at the end of the day, it's God who teaches us through our own study of the Scriptures. It's God who gives revelation. It's God who gives us understanding. If we do our part and take the time to study His Word, He will give us understanding. Okay? I have a degree in biblical studies. I'm finishing up my master's degree in theology. I appreciate the the instruction that I've received. I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to learn from others who know far more about the Bible than I do. But after all the education and all the methodology that I've been taught to employ in my studies, the first thing that I do still, every time I open up the Word of God to study, is I ask the Holy Spirit to reveal His Word to me, to instruct me as I study and to give me understanding. That should apply to all of us, regardless of your background, regardless of your education, regardless of your vocation. God is the one who teaches us, okay? And then verse 103, it says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. What, a, what an image that is. Again, tasting the word, that's beyond simply reading. This is consuming the scriptures, taking them in. And then verse 104, Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Through the study of God's word comes understanding. And through understanding comes wisdom for living. The key is that we have to take time to go beyond just reading the Word. We have to actually invest time and energy into study, into hermeneutics, that's biblical interpretation, into digging deeper than casual reading, okay? So I just want to mention here that the fact that God bothered to create and deliver to us through dozens of people over thousands of years His perfect plan for all of creation over all of time in a book that most of us have multiple copies of and various translations with the multiplicity of study aids should be enough motivation for us to do more than casually read it like it's a newspaper. Part of this is my responsibility as a teacher and a pastor to teach the Word. It's my passion. 
Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, which are pastors, and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So that falls to me as a pastor and a teacher. But let's continue. It says, Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part, I love this, with each part, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we all have some culpability here, some responsibility in this walk of faith. We're all capable, and I believe expected, to rightly understand the Word of God for ourselves. And that should come through a combination of receiving the taught Word from people called by God to teach it, and by our own personal study and revelation from God, okay? We have the key to understanding the heart and mind of God for our lives, at least as far as we're permitted by Him to be able to understand it, in the palm of our hands when we pick up this book, okay? We have to go beyond reading it. There's power and life available to us in this book. And if you take the time to study the Word, you find, interestingly enough, that so many of the so-called contradictions that people talk about in the Bible aren't contradictions at all. Much of what is stated in Scripture is very specific to the culture and the setting and the circumstances and the people present at the time the statement was made. That's why more than one comment can be made in Scripture about the same subject but arrive at different conclusions. So when we take the time to investigate a bit and find out what those external factors were, which takes some work, this fog of misunderstanding begins to lift and clear blue skies of truth are in front of us as far as we can see. Scripture is beautiful, full of poetry and romance, adventure and purpose. It's literary genius. And the best part is it's nonfiction. Okay, so the Bible's for guidance, the Bible is for study, and progressively we go beyond that and we see that the Bible is for meditation. So let's back up in our text, verses 97 through 99. It says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Okay? It's one thing to read the Bible. It's another thing to go beyond that and study the Bible. And yet we can move even beyond studying the Word when we actually meditate on the Scriptures. That word meditate in verses 97 and again in 99 is a Hebrew word called sika, which means reflection and prayer and devotion. The psalmist is saying, I reflect on, I pray over, and I devote my time to the Word of God. We read the Bible as a guide. We study to gain understanding, and we meditate on Scripture that it may transform our lives. All right, listen, if you want to go beyond just knowing the Bible intellectually, begin to meditate on the Word. Memorize portions of Scripture and then reflect on them. Pray over them. Devote time to dwelling on His Word. That's how we ingest it. That's how it becomes a, a part of us. And it will, over time, change us. 
It transforms us. It renews us. You know that if you've spent any time meditating on the Word. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, it says, now, I say, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice of every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put out, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness, okay? We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And one of the ways that we renew our mind is by meditating on God's Word. If you were here last week, you heard me tell the story about being at this church, a fairly large church in Fairbanks. And there was a large staff of pastors, and they all abandoned me. I was left alone. (laughs) And so overnight, like I inherited all the counseling and the hospital visitations and the baby dedications and baptisms and weddings and funerals and everything. I was leading worship and preaching, and it was actually like the best time of my life. But it was exhausting. I worked all the time just to keep up. And the thing that I realized that was so fascinating to me was I couldn't get anything done during the week in the office in terms of writing a sermon. It just wasn't going to happen. You know, there are people, we were on a main artery, a main highway. People came in off the street, needed to talk. There was so much administrative work to be done and just business, things to do as a pastor, meeting with people. I couldn't ever get anything done toward writing my sermons, and yet I have this passion and desire to teach the Word. And I don't ever want to just throw something out at people with half-hearted. I, I love to study the Word, and so it's important to me that I, that I do that rightly to the best of my ability. It really matters to me that I say what's right, the best that I can about the Word of God. So I had to have time. So what would end up happening is most evenings, everybody would go home, and I would stay, till midnight or one or two in the morning and write my sermons consecutively. It takes me a long time to research these sermons and, and write all of this stuff. So that's what would happen. But it was uh, just consistently. I'd be exhausted at the end of the day and everything that we would do. And I would sit and open up the Word and begin to study and meditate on God's Word. And I would come home and tell my wife, it's the most amazing thing. We live next door in the parsonage, so I would just walk across the parking lot at 50 degrees below zero with my parka back to the house, and I would walk in, and she'd say, how you doing? I'd say, you know what? I mean, I'm physically I'm tired, but I feel so refreshed. I mean, it's amazing. I was just excited and renewed and refreshed. I felt rejuvenated because I was meditating on the Word for hours. That's what the Word of God does in our life when we take the time to meditate on it, Okay. The final step then in this process, beyond reading, beyond study and meditation on the Word of God, is a response. You see, the Bible is for living. In other words, we have to act on God's Word. We have to act on what we've read. We have to act on what we've studied and what we've meditated upon. It has to be something more than just a mental ascent. 
knowledge and understanding of the Bible is of the utmost importance, of course. But if we're to walk in his ways, we have to respond to his word. And we have to act upon that which he's revealed to us by his word and through his word. It isn't enough to simply say that I understand and I agree with the Bible. There has to be real evidence of the word of God working in our lives if we're to ever have any meaningful and lasting effect on anyone for the sake of the kingdom of God, okay? So back to our text, verses 100 and 101. It says, I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. These are action verses. Okay, the writer's describing several attributes of God, uh, of the word of God throughout the text, but he's sure to point out in these two verses that he's not only understanding, he not only meditates on the word, but he's also acting on what he's learned. One of the clearest references to this in Scripture is in James 1, verses 19 through 25. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Listen, but be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Did you catch that last part? That's the best part. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We have to act upon what we read, what we study, and what we meditate on in this book. I was at the church one of those evenings. I'm talking about studying. It was about 12.30 a.m. And, of course, the whole building's dark except my office and the little hallway I was in, that my office was in. And there was no car there. There were no cars parked there because I lived next door. So no one would have necessarily known I was there. And it was about 12.30, and I'm studying. And I hear some noises bumping around in the church and I thought hmm those are either big Alaskan rats or somebody else is in here with me so I thought for a minute maybe it's the cleaning crew we actually had this family that cleaned our church and some of them were teenagers and sometimes they would come in in the middle of the night and clean I thought it's probably the cleaning crew but I could hear them coming closer through the building it's like a maze in this building toward my toward the hallway where my office was and so I stood up and the, the hall light was on. And I opened the door and I said, hello. And all of a sudden, the hallway light turned off. And I knew something was wrong. And I stuck my head out and I could hear multiple people running through the building. And I was a police officer right out of college years ago. And there's some like instinctive thing kicked in. And I started chasing them through the, through the building. Not very smart. And they ran through our fellowship hall and down this back hall leading downstairs, and there's an exterior door, and it sounded to me like they went outside. And so I ran to the doors, and I walked out, and sure enough, there were footprints in the snow everywhere, and I thought, okay, there's probably some kids, you know, messing around. I don't know how they got in. I went around, checked all the doors. Everything seemed secure. I went back to my office, sat down, and I started to study again. And believe it or not, I started hearing noises, and I thought, no way. 
They're still here. So I got up and I walked over to the edge of the stairs and I could hear people downstairs rummaging around. So <clears throat> I called my wife and I said, you better come over here just so someone else is here and you might want to bring my revolver with you. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about being a pastor and shooting someone. It's not really something I want to do. But So I was you know, not sure, not the smartest plan of action. So she comes over. And I start walking through the church, and I get about halfway down the stairs, and I can clearly hear people, more than one person down there, and I, I just totally chickened out. I was like, this, this isn't very smart. There are police that do this for a living. I need to call somebody. So I call 911, and they send uh, this, and I explain the situation, and this city police officer comes over, and he's not there particularly quickly, and he comes in the door, and we're standing in the foyer, and we're having this conversation. He's asking me questions. He's not in, doesn't seem to be very urgent. He's not very excited. He's kind of laid back. And he's asking me questions about the event. And I thought, this is strange. It seems like you'd want to go down and confront these people. But it's fine. I let him, do, let him do his job. And he said to me, so you mentioned earlier that the people left out the back door. And I said, no, they didn't. I thought they did. I said, I thought they did. He said, what? I said, dude, they're still here. <laughs> He said, where? I said, downstairs. He said, right now? I'm like, right now. I want to tell you, his whole demeanor changed. It was amazing. He lit up the radio, and within moments, there were police from everywhere converging on our parking lot. If you've ever watched Alaska State Troopers, Brian Zeisel is on there a lot. He's one of the canine units. He goes to our church. A great guy. Brian shows up. He comes in with all these other cops, and they're getting together, and they're having a powwow in the foyer about what they're going to do. He's got his dog, which, like, will chew your head off. It is a big German shepherd. And he starts shouting out these, you know, I'm a, Alaska State Troopers are on the scene. We have a canine. We're going to release the dog. He will bite you. And he's going through this whole gyration, and I'm nervous. You know, I'm thinking, this isn't good. He lets the dog go, and all the cops disperse. And one of them turns around to me, and he says, you stay right here. Okay. So I'm the only one, I'm alone, standing by the front doors. This dog tears off, sniffing the ground, the exact path these people went. And he goes downstairs. And I mean, if you've been to our church, some, we have some Alaskans here from our church, you know. There are about 38 corridors in that church that come up and from downstairs. It's like a maze in this building. And apparently they didn't have them all covered because here come these three people shooting up the stairs, running right at me at the front door without any police around. And I said, stop! And they, you know, dead in their tracks, they stop there, and all the police come around the corner and converge on these people. Well, so here we are for the next several hours trying to figure out what was going on, and it turns out this was actually a young family. It was a man and his wife and their son. And they had been breaking into churches all night in Fairbanks, and we were putting this, piecing this together. And at one point, Brian Zeisel, the trooper, said to me, hey, I need you to look at something. And we walked down the hall, downstairs to where they were, near another exterior door, which is where they came in. They pried a door open. And there was literally a pickup truck load of food in the foyer by that door where they were, piled high, stacked up. And then in a room adjacent to that, they had sleeping bags laid out. And as they began to, to question, interrogate this family, and they're crying, and they're very contrite at this point, as you would expect them to be, it turns out they were a very poor family. They came, they lived out in the bush about 100 miles away in a dry cabin, no power, no water, which is common up there. 
and they came into town looking for some work and they went to one of the local agencies to try and get some food. They were hungry and nobody was open. Nobody gave them any help. It got dark. It's dangerous to, to drive that far in the dark with the family. They didn't want to go all the way back home. They didn't know what to do. End of their rope. They found their way into a church across town and stole some food out of the pantry. And then they came to another church and did it and they came to our church. And so there we were trying to decide what to do with these people. They unloaded all the food in the building because at 40 or 50 below, if you leave it all outside overnight, it's ruined. So they brought it into the church so that it wouldn't freeze. They were going to spend the night, get up the morning before anyone came, load their truck back up and drive home. And the police want me to press charges. Now I had every right to press charges. But I went through all their stuff with the cops and it was food. People were hungry. And you can argue whether or not I should have done what I did, but I'll tell you after praying about it, I felt strongly convicted that pressing charges wasn't what was best for this family. And so I said, you know, you can call the other churches. They can do whatever they want to do. I'm not going to press charges. They weren't too happy with me about that, but, but I want them to have this food because, you know, the reason we have a pantry in our church is to feed people who are hungry. And you may not agree with the method. I sure didn't appreciate the way they decided to obtain the, the church pantry. But they needed food. So we actually told them to leave their food in the church because I didn't want it to freeze either. <laughs> and we took them to a shelter nearby. And they spent the night, a free homeless shelter, got up in the morning, came back. I helped them load their food, our food, into their truck and sent them on their way. They needed the food more than we did. I'm telling you that not because I'm a saint. and nothing to do with me. It was what I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me to do. But I do feel I was acting on the word of God. There are hundreds of scriptures in the Bible that talk about not denying the poor and needy. Taking care of the poor. Hundreds of them in the Bible. People ask me, what do we do about the people on the street corner with the cardboard signs? You know, probably we need to, to have some guidance from the Lord in those situations because I know that some of those people are actually aren't poor. They're, they're con artists or whatever and, and we don't want to feed that. There are people who are chemically dependent in that situation. We don't want to feed that addiction. So I don't always give money to the people on the street corner but I have prayed often when I see those folks and there have been a couple of times when I really felt the Lord telling me I should go back and I have and engaged in conversation and witnessed and given some money to those folks. So that's something we leave up to the Lord, okay? But what I'm, the, the point I'm trying to make is we have to act on the word of God, okay? We can't ignore a hurting world around us when scripture clearly tells us what we should do. Do you want to have guidance in your life? Read the word. Do you want to gain understanding and wisdom? Study the word. Do you want to be transformed and renewed? Meditate on the word. Do you want to be blessed in your life? Do you want to be a blessing to others? Act upon the word of God in your life. Okay, let me sum up this message and we're closing by saying this. God has given us his word in writing. In this ancient collection of books. Full of eternal truths that were written for us. We have more tools available to us today through technology and research and study to interpret and understand this book than we ever have before in history, not to mention God's divine revelation that he often brings as we study the word.
And these pages are the answers to the biggest questions that mankind has been asking for all of human history. What is the meaning of life? Why are we here? How did we get here? What's going to happen in the future? It's all right here in this book. Some of its pages, 30 plus centuries old. Yet so many of us pick it up once in a while and we read it. Like it's a devotional book written a year ago. This is an ancient document full of answers and mysteries. Stories full of wisdom and poetry. Full of praise and lament. Verifiable prophecies fulfilled and those yet to come. It is in fact the linchpin around which our entire existence and eternal future revolves. And yet we hardly give it time of day sometimes. This is the word of the almighty God. The word of God who created the heavens and the earth and everything within them. The word that explains the past, instructs us in the present, and tells us of the future. Shouldn't we read it more than we watch television? I'm talking to myself. Shouldn't we, shouldn't we invest more time in it than we do our hobbies? To be obedient to God's word, we have to read it, study it, meditate on it, and act upon it by applying it to our lives. That means a significant part of your life spent with this book. A significant part of your life spent with this book. I can tell you from personal experience, and I have, that more, the more time you spend immersed in the Word of God, the more revelation you will have in regards to His will for your own life. So at Upcountry Church, we're followers of Christ, and we are followers of the Word. And today, I'd like to invite you to join us on this journey. Would you bow your heads with me? So just as we did last week, I am not going to call anyone forward today. I, I don't want to embarrass anyone, and I'm not going to call anyone out. But we are going to pray together, all of us, in a moment. Before we can follow the Word with any success in our life, we have to choose to follow Christ. We have to make a commitment to Him, which means... We live according to the Word of God, and it's a challenge. It's a challenging life, to be sure, but it's also the only truly fulfilling life that we can ever live. So if you would like to say yes to being a follower of Christ, I'm simply asking you in a moment to raise your hand, and you can put it right back down. This is just to acknowledge the desire to follow Him in your life. Okay, It's us simply saying that we believe that Jesus Christ is who He said He was in the Bible, the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way to eternal life and the only way to true joy and peace and love and contentment is through Him. This isn't about where you go to church. It isn't about how you vote or how you, where you live or what your background is. It isn't about anything that you may have done in your past. It's simply you saying, from this moment on, I want to follow Christ. I want to live the life that I was born to live. So if that's you today... Maybe you've never prayed a prayer of commitment to Christ before, or maybe you have, and you'd like to do it again. We're all going to just pray this prayer together in a moment. And then again, I'm not going to call you out, okay? I'm not going to call you forward today. I'm simply asking you to acknowledge your commitment to Him just before we pray by raising your hand. No one's looking around. Is there anyone here today that will say yes? Pastor Rob, I commit myself today to following Jesus. If so, would you just raise your hand, and you can put it right back down. I'm just saying, yes, I want to, to commit my life to following Him. And you may have prayed this prayer many times. I've probably prayed it more than a thousand times in my life. 
as I often need to recommit my life to him. So is there anyone today who would like to pray that prayer? Just raise your hand now if you would, just for a moment and put it back down. Yes. Are there more? Are there more? Anyone else? I won't, we won't spend too much time here. Anyone else want to raise your hand and just say, I'm committed to following Christ? Okay. If you would, with your heads bowed, I'd just like for all of us to pray this prayer together out loud. So just pray this with me, after me, if you would, please. Lord, I admit to you today that I have sinned in my life. And I believe that you gave up your life for me that I might be forgiven for my sins and have eternal life. So I ask you now to forgive me for all my sin. Save me and make me new. And I ask you now, Jesus, to be Lord over my life and live in me. And I commit to follow you the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. Listen, I said last week, if you prayed that prayer, and some of you did today, it's just the beginning. There's a, there's a whole new life ahead of you when you make that commitment, even when you recommit, which I have many times again. And I know from my own experience that you can't do it alone. This walk doesn't work alone. It's not how God designed us. We all have to be a part of a larger community of faith, okay? If we're to live a life committed to Him. There's a short book in our cafe on the shelves back there. I'd like to invite you, if you prayed that prayer or you have any questions about following Christ, to pick it up. It was actually written by one of my professors and a good friend of mine. It just simply explains some of the next steps once you've made a commitment to Christ. We want you to have that for free. And if you're not part of a church family already, we would love for you to come back here, of course. Next week, we're going to talk about what it means to live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. This whole Pentecostal thing, that scares people. It doesn't need to. It's not scary. It makes actually quite a bit of sense. So we're going to talk about what it means to live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, to be Pentecostal church, okay? But if you choose not to come back here, please get involved somewhere in a church that teaches the Word of God because it is the definitive and final work on living a fulfilled life devoted to Jesus Christ. And by the way, I want you to know that we here have been praying for you for a long time. Ever since we knew this church was going to start, we've been praying for the community and for whoever it was that was going to come when we opened the doors for many months. So please understand that when I say we love you, we really mean it. We really do. We've shed tears for you, over you, and we've been praying for you. So thank you for coming today. Be blessed. We do love you, and we hope we see you next week. You're dismissed.